Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 22, 22 today. Um, I, I mentioned, well, I, I don't know why I, I tell you that, but we are, we are going to be landing this plane, this study in, our, in the book of Matthew. It's been, we've been in the book of Matthew for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not untrue. Uh, um, I think we're about going to start. We, if we continued it, this would be we'll reach into our our thir- 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 third Christmas season with it. But um, <laughs> but we're going to complete the text. Ha ha ha, Faith Ahola, before you graduate college. And we didn't. We missed high school, but we're going to finish it before you. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna. We will probably land this somewhere in the middle of Octo- uh, of November. We're gonna. We will. We're gonna. The first Sunday in in November. We'll. We're gonna read a larger portion of the Passion narratives in uh, in the Book of Matthew, and then uh, after that, we are gonna sp- uh, spend a moment in Matthew twenty eight, and where we see uh, the the resurrection of Jesus, and where it really goes from not only follow me to but. M- be, make disciples of me. We want to look at Jesus' commission to the church to make disciples, what that means, and we want to take that seriously and celebrate that. And uh, then, then we'll have a uh, our Christmas season. And here's a here's a here's a heads up. I, it's not that we take a big poll or a vote, but um, I've been feeling like we need to spend some time uh, in, in January. We need to spend some time in the Book of Genesis, and uh, and taking a look at uh, not only some of those great story arcs there, but uh, the how the book of Genesis frames our worldview and and uh, all the important things that are laid down there. I tell them some of my I had the opportunity to teach uh, introduction to Old Testament history and literature at the university, and I tell my students I dare them to prove to me that Genesis is not the most important book in the Bible. <laughs> now, in other words, we just it's, it's just how we start the class. All right, I said now let's 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 prove it's not. Now, obviously, you say, well, but what, there are other important books. Yes, there are, but I. But there are some things laid down in the in the foundations in the book of Genesis that that are irreplaceable. And and although we would argue it's the oldest text uh, as far as its content, creation, uh, uh, it what it what it addresses is absolutely contemporary. It speaks to absolutely right now uh, stuff. So anyway, that'll be a while. Merry Christmas. We'll get there. All right, all right. Matthew chapter twenty-two today, beginning at verse thirty-four. Uh, here it is. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Hallelujah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets. Ooh, you should say that out loud with me. Ready? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Ooh. We're going to talk today about the disciples' greatest duty. 
This passage begins with a question, really the question, capital T, capital Q. What is, what's the big question? Here's, they, they come to Jesus with this question and they say, what is the greatest commandment? What is the thing? If we're not going to miss something, what's the biggest, what's the greatest commandments? What's, how, how, how do we get high score in this game? It's an understandable question that they would ask. It's a question, I suppose, that, 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 that in one way or another, the human heart asks or claims an answer to. What am I supposed to do? What's the purpose of my life? What's really important? What am I doing here? In 1648, the uh, Scottish Presbyterian Church uh, voted that the... Uh, the chief purpose or the chief duty, the chief end of man was to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, that's pretty good. Since then, existentialist philosophy has said that the meaning of life is simply to create our own meaning. Others say that, well, life has no meaning. No real purpose, Just it just happened. In the Hebrew mindset, back to the context here, in the Hebrew mindset, if God is creator and he is life giver and law giver, then the purpose of life is to know God and obey God. And if that's true, then it begs the question, if we're supposed to obey God, what's the greatest commandment? So we have this big question. It's a reasonable question put to Jesus. Would you agree? I would agree. And who better to ask than Jesus? But in this case... The first part really kind of gives, them, gives us a little bit of a, of a context here because it's, it's not just about the question, it's about who's asking. In this case, who's asking the question and why are they asking? Well, it begins, uh, Matthew tells us, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. <laughs> now, just for some, a little bit of homework here, just some background in case anybody wants to get caught up. In, uh, in first century Judaism, there were about, general, in general, there was about four schools of thought, four main uh, religious slash political groups that kind of existed that, were, that were, would, have been, would have controlled the narrative or, or had a narrative or had a claim. Uh, one of them was, was the zealots. We don't hear from the zealots very often in the Gospels. We hear one of them, Simon the Zealot, was one of the 12 disciples. The zealots, though, if you know your history, the zealots were those that, that uh, were constantly trying to stir up uh, insurrection against Rome. And then in uh, 70 AD, when Rome came in and finally just took care of business, they were the, they were the last holdouts there trying to resist Rome. They were, they were militant. They were armed. They wanted to fight the zealots. Okay. The other group is, uh, the, is the Essenes. The Essenes is the Qumran community. The Essenes, that's where we, if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's the community that, 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 that had their own set of scriptures that kept them, and they lived out in the desert by themselves. They lived a unique lifestyle, withdrawn. They didn't, have, they didn't raise families together. They, they did their own thing. Um, and uh, Jesus didn't also didn't, necessi- didn't necessarily interact with them very much, except for one guy who I think may have been a part of that community for a little while. The 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 cry, the the confession of the Essene community was, "We are, or I am, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make way, you know, make way that make way the way of the Lord." 
You know, that's, this was their, their confession. And, and then you would think, well, wait a minute, that's, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. Do we, know, we know a guy who came out of the wilderness who, had, who was kind of crazy, uh, who was isolated, lived on his own, was, uh, was unmarried, didn't have a family, and uh, said, I, I, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. John the Baptist, I think, probably came out of the Essene community. He wasn't necessarily fully vested because they, they didn't come out. They stayed there, and they were pretty harsh. But I think he was probably part of the Essene community at least for a little while. And what's fascinating is how in the world John the Baptist got out there. There's really almost no explanation. Uh, the, the Essene community, they, what they would do is they would, they, would, they would recruit. They would adopt and recruit into their into their their community, and 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 really, it doesn't make any more doesn't make any sense because John the Baptist, where does he come from? He comes from the Sadducees. He comes from the line of priests. Wait, what? Yeah, John the Baptist should have been raised in the temple, with all the privileges thereof. John the Baptist's daddy was Zechariah, and the Sadducees. The Sadducees, which is the third group we want to talk about briefly, the Sadducees were a group, and maybe you know the little, the little Sunday school story, the little rhythm there, the Sadducees were Sadducee, okay? Well, I don't know how sad they were, but I would be sad if I were them. Uh, the Sadducees only believed that, that, that the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, you know, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, they, only the Pentateuch was inspired scripture. The rest of it, not so much. They only believed in the, in the law of Moses. They did not believe in an afterlife. Heaven or hell. They didn't believe in an afterlife, and they did not believe in angels or demons. No angels, no demons, no afterlife. You know what? That's not a life for me. I know. You're thinking, well, who wants to sign up for that group? Well, they had political power and affluence. They were more, and they, they, they lived, they were so strict on clean and unclean, they basically didn't leave the temple. They were they 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 did they were not out amongst the people. They only lived among. They lived in the temple. They did priestly things. They did all the priestly duties, all the high priest stuff, Sadducee duties, all of that. And they lived in the temple. And they didn't believe in angels or demons. That do you is anybody finding this story funny yet? Because I do. Because Zechari- John the Baptist's daddy was a Sadducee. Zechariah is a Sadducee. He doesn't believe in angels. He goes to prayer and talk, and Gabriel shows up. God has a way of messing with what you believe. I believe this about God. It turns out he's this big. I don't believe in angels. I don't believe in angels. Gabriel. (laughs) And yet God is so good. Gabriel doesn't slap him. I mean, he kind of disciplines him for for not believing. But Gabriel says, by the way, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a kiddo. And this kiddo is going to be filled with the Spirit. He's going to do all these kinds of things. And yet, interestingly enough, this kiddo is not raised in the temple. It's almost as if John the Baptist is the only son of aged parents who's adopted into an extreme religious community, and he comes out of the wilderness. So the Sadducees, of course, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in, they don't believe in all the things that many of the things that Jesus is teaching. And so they want to make him look bad. And so if you look back in the story, they've asked him some questions about, about, uh, about a, a, a couple getting married and then the man dies and then she marries. They, they follow the, the tradition and, the, 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 and she, she marries all of the brothers and it's seven wives for seven brothers and at the resurrection, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever. And they, they say, Who's, whose wife will she be? And Jesus says, you guys are idiots. Well, that's in the it's in that's in the Passion translation or something. It, uh, Jesus says, "You are in error because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God." 
He literally, that's his, Jesus, if there's a group that Jesus dismisses uh, swiftly and justly quickly, it's the, it's the Sadducees. He just dismisses them. You guys are idiots. Next, okay? And so, so that we pick up the story, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees really didn't get along. They believed radically different. The, the, the Sadducees, everything was about fate, only the books of Moses, no resurrection, no angels, no demons. Pharisees is free will and, and God's sovereignty. Uh, there's a lot. Of, I know everyone wants to hate the Pharisees, but honestly, there's a lot that there's a lot of their belief system that is was correct. We have common in common. They they believe in they believe in all the law and the prophets. Which is why Jesus says we can say they believe in all the law and the prophets are inspired. We believe that all scripture is inspired. They believe in a resurrection. They believe in an afterlife. They believe in angels. They believe in demons. I mean, they don't like not. They believe in in the in in the spirit realm. And they have disciples. Sadducees don't have disciples. Essenes do, but they live over there. They live by themselves. And the Pharisees were the only other group of people that were religious leaders that had disciples. And so they didn't get along with the Sadducees except for that, except for when they didn't like Jesus. <laughs> and so they get together and they and they and they scheme of ways and they, and, and, and together the, they 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 part, they form the Sanhedrin. But um, also the Pharisees lived amongst the people. And that's and they and they and they ministered in the synagogue amongst the people. So Jesus silenced the Sadducees, and now the Pharisees are going to take a swing at him. And they ask him, they send one of their experts to ask him what the greatest commandment is in the law. See, the Pharisees in the synagogue system spent quite a bit of time debating what was the greatest commandment. They believed that there were 613 commandments, 365 don't do this, and 248 you should do this. They counted them. And then they debated out of the 613, which one was the heaviest? Because they couldn't, they couldn't all be the same because that'd be confusing. So then they, they, wanted to, they wanted to measure the commandments, weigh them and measure them and figure out which ones were the... They wanted to know how to get the high score. So they, and, and they, they, had, they had spent time for a couple of hundred years debating and debating. And, and, uh, what they want. So they send one of their best debaters, one of their best fellers, to go see if they can get Jesus to trip up and look badly and say the wrong thing. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then Jesus' answer, he actually agrees with them. That shouldn't surprise you. Jesus told us to agree with our adversary on the way to court. He agrees with them. He said, uh, and they, they believed, many of them believed, many of them believed that the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, was the, the first and greatest commandment, or at least the greatest commandment. Jesus said, you're right, that is the first and the greatest. And he said, and there's the second, which is like the first. And then he said that all and the law and the prophets hang on these two. Remember that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he shows us now again that the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is love. But he also says this. I believe his answer also tells us this, that if you are measuring commandments, you're missing them. That our greatest duty is not getting the highest score. Our greatest duty, the greatest, the disciples' greatest duty is love. But this is not a Hallmark movie. I know it's the season. It's important for us to, when we hear this, that we don't, 
believe that somehow Jesus is saying that warm sentiment somehow summarizes or replaces real religion. Religion? Yeah. Yeah, real religion. Good, the good stuff. Jesus is not, when he says the love of the Lord your God with all, with the lo- and, and to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is not describing feelings. He is requiring action. The love that Jesus requires is a radical devotion and a loyal commitment to God and to our neighbor. The first and greatest commandment is to love God. First and greatest. They, they said, Lord, they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the first and the greatest is love God. Rest of, hey, friends, there is a first one. There is the greatest one, and it is to love God. Love for God comes first. If it doesn't come first, then everything is chaos. Everything is chaos. Everything is absolute screwball. You don't get to pick and choose. If love for God doesn't come first, then nothing in life makes sense. It's all skewed. Love the Lord your God. Uh, the, 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 the command there we is, is, yeah, we remember, we think agape, it's, but it's agapeo. It's a verb form of the noun agape. And it means to value or esteem or to have a commitment of devotion that is directed by your will. You decide to love God this way. He is not commanding our feelings so much as our devotion. Devotion, real devotion, will cultivate and promote and protect the most sacred and holy affections for sure. But devotion does not depend on your mood. Jesus is describing a, a, a life of love that is not dependent upon our mood or our feeling. It's much stronger than that. Biblical love. Biblical love is not just warm feeling. It is stubborn, unwavering commitment. Aren't you glad that that is how God loves you? (laughs) Stubborn, unwavering commitment. And this is, the, this is biblical love. It's a difference between agape love and like filial love. Filial love is familial. It's brotherly. It's, uh, it's love that I have for Lori. It's love that I have for John Frederick and for Benjamin. You know, I have a love for Max that is based on, uh, my, yeah, a, stub, a, a commitment to Max. But, I mean, I have a whole life of, of, with Max. Max has, Max has a different level of emotional uh, connection with me than, a, than, than would a perfect stranger. And the, the scriptures in no way expect that I'm going to feel feel about a stranger the way I would about Max. That would dishonor my son, let alone my wife, right? So he's, the Lord's not saying dishonor or show disrespect for the most precious relationships by expecting you to feel the same way about people you don't even know. But he is telling you not to feel, not to phileo them, but to agapeo, to love people with a stubborn commitment. To seek and 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 pursue their greatest good. This is love. A stubborn commitment, a devotion to God. And how am I to love him? <laughs> With all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Wow. Please, and by listen, please do not dissect that. 
Well, my mind, I love with my heart this way and my soul that way and my mind. This is not for dissection. Uh, we do not, do, not, do not compartmentalize this statement. Our love for God is not compartmentalized. It is complete. It is comprehensive. When Jesus says to love your Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, he is saying that we are to love God with our entire being. With all of our faculties. Every part of our lives is devoted to knowing God and glorifying Him and enjoying Him and, and, and yes, adoring Him. Loving God first and most is truth, it is right, it makes sense, and it gives life meaning. And love for God will produce every kind of excellence in our lives. It will produce every kind of excellence. When I love him with my heart and my mind and my strength, I do everything to honor him. Mood or not mood. It's devotion. And it produces every kind of excellence, including and immediately how we love others. That's why Jesus says, and the second is like the first. Now, he didn't, they didn't ask about a second. <laughs> they just said, Lord, what's the greatest one? He says, well, there is the first and the greatest, and the second one is like the first. It isn't the first, but it's like it. Don't switch them. I, I, it's just important. Friends, do not switch them. If you switch them, if you say, well, I just want to live, I'm going to be a second commandment guy, you're going to make an idol out of humanity. You are going to pervert your service to humanity. You are going to end up uh, 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 something that is corrupt and destructive. The only way to love people well is to love God first. And if you love God first, you will love people exceptionally well. If we love God, we will love those made in His image. And again, this isn't just warm sentiment, it's loyal kindness. See, when I love God first, it enables me and requires me to love others well, even if I'm not in the mood. Have you ever not been in the mood? (laughs) How in the world can Jesus say, love your enemies? Because he's not talking about having warm feelings toward them. He's talking about acting toward them in stubborn, unwavering commitment. That's the power of real love. The power, any, anybody can do anything when they're all hooked up on emotions. You know, dopamine, the chemical in your brain that makes, that makes young people do crazy things. Oh, I drove four hours just to say goodnight. You know, you must be in love. No, you have, that's dopamine. It's a chemical in your system. Don't take credit for that. That's not heroic. That's, that's God's way of duping you. <laughs> Love is far more stubborn, far more powerful, far more consistent, far more noble. There is such a nobility to this kind of love, to love God first and most. 
to love him when I don't, when things don't make sense, when I'm not in the mood, to love him when I'm, when temptation wants to pull me every kind of different way, but no, I will not. To love him when it says it's easier to take a shortcut rather than to be excellent. No, I will not. I will love God first. I will love God most. And I will love others with that excellence because of my love for God. I will treat others the way I want to be treated. I will do unto others. I will initiate kindness. I will honor those who even have been dishonorable, not because they deserve it, but because I love God first. You know, I'm not going to complain that you have your Bible on your phones and it talks. I mean, there are a lot of worse things. I'm just glad Cheryl has stopped that gambling stuff on the phone. It just came. <laughs> you know, it used to say, and lucky buck in the first is coming around. <laughs> Remember, Cheryl, agape love doesn't require you to feel. Requires you to do. <laughs> this whole concept is where we get the idea of the New Testament law of love. This is what governs us as, as believers. Listen to this, these handfuls of scriptures that, that arise as an echo out of the life and teaching of Jesus. Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be. Now, he's not saying that he forgot them. He's just saying he's including all of them. They are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5.14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2 verse 8 If you really keep the royal law of love probably the royal law found in scripture love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 is a song we used to sing uh, but in the NIV it doesn't sing as well okay dear friends dear friends let us love one another for it doesn't even sing well but it's it's it sounds good for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love jesus tells us he tells his disciples in john 13 he says a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another another way of saying that might be by this everyone will know that you love me if you love one another first john chapter 4 again verses 19 through 21 we love because he first loved us Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God 
must also love their brother and sister. The disciples' greatest duty is love. To love God with our entire being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And far more than just a warm sentiment, this is a, a radical devotion and a loyal commitment to God and to our neighbor. And that is what it means to follow Jesus. Can I invite you to stand together as we close this, this morning? As we're closing, uh, I want to say this very, very, very simply, very clearly. If you, have, if, you are, if you want to follow Jesus and you have not been baptized in water, we can do that right now. You can repent of your sin. You can be baptized in water, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to meet you in the waters of baptism. If you're worried about having to change your clothes, I've got that for you too. So literally, as we close right now, if you'd, like, if, you're, if you'd like to be baptized in water, Jeremy's waiting over there for you. You can just get over there, and uh, we'll talk to you, and we'll get ready. But let's, if you, but, so you can do that right now. And I want to challenge you. You might think, well, aren't we supposed to you know, have three weeks of preparation, and shouldn't I send out in- invitations and all that kind of thing? This is not prom. This is deciding to follow Jesus. We don't have time to wait. We want to give you opportunity this morning. If you have not followed Jesus in the waters of baptism, we're ready for you. And you can see Jeremy is a big tall fella way over there. Let's pray together right now. Would you bow your heads across this room? Father, in the name of Jesus, we hear, we hear the words of our Lord. We hear this scripture in Matthew. Lord, that the first and greatest commandment is that we love you and that we love you with loyal commitment, with devotion, with tenacity. That we love you regardless of our mood or our feeling or circumstance. Lord, that this is our highest calling. And Lord, that that, the way that we love you must translate into how we love others. Lord, would you bring us into fresh, living, powerful contact with your spirit today. Lord, we thank you that you love us first and we receive your love. We recognize it. We welcome your love for us. That that love that enables us to, to love you in return and to love others. Lord, we thank you that we are a people that, that, are, that are much more powerful than mood or feeling. But Lord, that because that we live a life of covenant, of commitment, we thank you that you love us in this way more than we can measure. That heaven loves those in this room and those watching online, that you love us with a stubborn commitment. a faithfulness, a covenant. And Lord, help us to love you in return the same way. And Lord, for those of us in the room this morning that have measured out in portion, Lord, we, there are, we, we need to consider how, we, how, how well we have been loving others. Not how we feel, but what we've done. 
Are we acting in loyal kindness? Are we demonstrating covenant affection, devotion to others? Are we treating people the way we want to be treated? Are we loving our neighbor as ourself? Would you lead us, Lord? It doesn't... If it were natural, it wouldn't be a commandment. Would you inspire us, Lord, to obey you by loving you first and then loving others? We thank you, Lord, for that today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your help today. Everybody said amen. Amen. Why don't you take a few moments, friends, if you, if, you're, if you have time. Enjoy some company in the cafe. We've got some extra food in there prepared with affection for you carefully. All right. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Have a fantastic Sunday.